the church came to conclusion with uh, last Sunday. And we have many details and things to share along the next few weeks, but just so you know where things stand as of today, uh, Brother Tim, of course, accepted the call to come to be your pastor. Uh, he and Miss Becky are sharing that decision with their church in South Carolina today. And so in just a moment, we're going to pray for that congregation as they uh, receive that news. Uh, his first Sunday will be February the 4th. So uh, just a couple more Sundays, and then uh, he'll arrive here the first Sunday in February. There will still be other details that will unfold and things that we'll share uh, as those need to be shared, but we want to give you the, um, the information this morning. Uh, I would like us just to take a minute and, and pray for the brothers and sisters at Eastside Baptist Church uh, there in his uh, current location. I'm always very, very aware that we're excited, but another church is now beginning to enter what we've been through. You see it? And there are brothers and sisters in Christ. So it's family that is experiencing what is now uh, the transition for them. And so would you just join me as we say a prayer for those brothers and sisters, and particularly Tim this morning as he shares this news. Lord, we thank you for a chance to come before you in worship today. And we do lift up the, the family, our family, our brothers and sisters at Eastside Baptist Church. We pray that you would give them the, just the spirit and the courage and the peace to know that they are in your hands. Lord, we lift up Tim as he shares this information. And, and we know, Lord, that this is uh, difficult to do. Lord, I just pray that you would give him the, the heart, the tenderness, the shepherd feelings that I know he has and Lord, I pray that even in the midst of this news that there would be a sense of your hand and your call, that he's willing to go wherever you lead. Just be with them this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would invite you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. In just a moment, I'm going to read the first eight verses. But as you're turning there, I want you to Picture in mind the landing of an airplane. Maybe recently you have flown or in the last couple years you've been on a trip and maybe your flight came out of Louisville or maybe out of Nashville or maybe out of Cincinnati. And let's say you've been in the flight for a couple hours, two, three hours. You're starting to feel the, the exhaustion that comes with travel and you hear over the speaker, the captain say, ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We have been given clearance to begin our descent into the Louisville International Airport. We'll be on the ground in just a few moments. Sit back, relax. Flight attendants, please prepare the cabin for arrival. You heard these, language, you know, these announcements? All of a sudden, things start happening. Uh, people start scampering around. Uh, maybe the flight attendants come and get the last uh, drinks or pretzels, or they tell you to put your chair up, put your table up, put your seatbelt on. Lots of things are happening. The captain in the cockpit, in the co-pilot, there are thousands of things that are going on. Airspeed, altitude, landing gear, uh, making sure that flights that are taking off or other planes that are landing are not in the way. They have to speak to the control tower. they got to speak to all the 
the folks in the cabin and, and they're, they're thinking a hundred things. Because a landing that goes awry is a disaster. If you've ever been on a plane, you know there is a sense of anxiety. At one point in the flight, you're 30,000 feet in the air and you're moving at 600 miles an hour and you're coming in for a landing and as you start to descend, you're still going 400 miles an hour. And you're going to land on an, a strip of land that's about the, big, the width of a highway. And there's tension. I can remember a flight I was on a few years ago and we had been on the plane for 13 hours. It was flying to Beijing, China. And this was one of those massive jumbo jets. 400 people, maybe more than that. This is one of the heavies, as they're called. And this thing's coming down. And I can't wait to get out of this tube. I've been in for 13 hours. And finally, as this thing comes down, you hear the roar of the engines. They're slowing down, slowing down. And that screech, you know what I'm talking about? When the tires hit the pavement, and the engines go in reverse, and you feel yourself lunge into the seat, and they're trying to slow you down from 400 miles an hour to get you into this terminal. I remember on that particular plane, we had been on there so long, I mean... Babies are screaming. People are begging to jump out of the plane if they could. And when we landed, they burst into applause. Yeah! We landed. We landed. You see, landing a plane takes a thousand steps. And if any one of them go wrong, there can be all kinds of impact. And in the same way, Landing a transitional season of ministry has a thousand steps. And the goal is to land it the right way, the good way, with the opportunity for the future to come into play. We're landing something in the next couple weeks. And I want us to land the right way with a good opportunity for the future. I want to share with you a little bit of Paul's instructions on landing well. We're going to speak this morning about the approach of a pastor. Like a landing of a ship, the approach of a pastor. In Acts chapter 17, I didn't have you turn there, but Paul and his companions arrive in the city of Thessalonica. And they stay for a time period and Later, Paul leaves, but wants to write a letter back to them about their experience and how he landed and how he came in and, and what that meant and what that ensured for the future. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, you read these words in verse 1 through 8. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, For you yourselves know, brothers that our coming to you was not in vain. Paul, Silas, Timothy, when they came to those there in Thessalonica, Thessalonica it was not in vain. Verse 2. But though we had already suffered and had been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. 
For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Verse 5. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with the pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. I want to share this morning about the approach of a pastor in coming and the approach of a pastor in staying. And I want to give you a few principles to help us think. Let's step back for a moment and get the context again. This is a letter to a church in Thessalonica. Paul mentions in verse 1 and 2 that he had previously been in the city of Philippi. If you think of a map, the Greek islands, Philippi is in the north, Thessalonica is in the middle. Eventually he'll get to Athens, which will be in the south. And having been treated poorly in the north in Philippi, they need to move on to Thessalonica to continue their work and to continue their mission. And he says that they came to them with boldness to declare the gospel of God. While things in Philippi started pretty good with uh, the conversion of Lydia and women at the water, and then later, after being put in jail, they see the jailer of the Philippian jail come to faith in his family. They leave a little church plant in Philippi, but move on south. Later, Paul will write a letter to the church in Philippi, the letter in the Bible that we call Philippians. But he moves further south, and the Bible says in Acts chapter 17 that he goes and spends at least three Sabbaths with the people in Thessalonica. Now, we don't know the exact number of days he's there. It could be just those three weeks, but probably wasn't much more than three months, just 90 days or so. And just like in Philippi, there breaks out some trouble. Particularly the folks from Philippi now make their way down and stir up some things for him there. And eventually they have to get out of that city and move on further south down to Athens. But while in Thessalonica, a wonderful experience breaks out for Paul and his companions. He speaks about how they arrived, and he speaks about what was like their experience while they were there. Listen to how he speaks about the way they arrive, the approach of a pastor in coming. Look back in verse 5 and 6. Verse 5 and 6. He says, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with the pretext for greed, God is our witness, nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles. What what can we hear here? It says that, that, that they didn't come with words of flattery. 
You know, when a pastor approaches, a leader approaches, a new season of ministry approaches, sometimes there's a lot of flattery of words. Uh, You ever received some flattery from a politician? Ever received any flattery from a salesman, saleswoman? Ever received any flattery from someone who wanted something from you? Who wanted to get something from you? It's puffed up. It's blowing smoke. It's words that don't have any value or words that don't have any meaning. They're they're just used to try to get to you and get something from you. Paul says that when they came, they didn't have words of flattery. I hope last weekend you recognized with Tim, he wasn't here to flatter you. He wasn't here to use the flashy language and earn your vote or earn your approval. No, we we come as leaders and as preachers and pastors, we come with just realness and authentic lives before you. What would you prefer? Would you prefer someone who tried to use flattery and fancy words, or would you prefer someone that was just real and honest? What would you prefer? Real and honest. See, Paul says we, we didn't come with flattery of words. Number two, he says we didn't come for a pretext of greed. He did not come for financial gain. And he even goes a little further in verse 5 and says, and God is witness to this. See, in this time, it was very normal for a teacher, for a, a philosopher, of someone of great knowledge to, to gather from them disciples or learners and And as they came into a town, particularly in the Greek Isles, they would go into the city square and espouse their philosophy, espouse their teaching, and people would pay them for such. You think of Aristotle and Plato and Socrates and and others. That was their way of earning income. And it was very normal for someone to gain a popularity and gain a crowd because of their great knowledge and their great words, and, and they would earn from that financially. Paul says, we came to you not with flattery of words and not with the pretext for greed. Friends, I can assure you, though I was not in any of the meetings and have not been privy to any of the discussion, I can assure you that Tim and Becky are not coming to Younger's Creek with the pretext of greed. Not that I know any of the details or any of the specifics. I don't know any of the discussion. But I can assure you, it's not because your salary is that big. I don't know what it is. I don't know how it's going to land. But I'm just telling you, that's not why, that's not why leaders in this world of ministry come to churches. It's not because there's financial gain to be had. Amen? It's because we have a calling of the gospel. A calling of God. Earlier in that passage, he said that his calling, he had been trusted with the gospel of God. Leaders in church ministry don't come because there's a gain to be had. Trust me. There's lots more opportunities where a lot more gain is available. But when you have a call on your life to entrust others and to preach the gospel, you don't really give all that much thought to the financial gain. Paul says he didn't come for financial gain. 
says he didn't come to seek glory from people or from anyone else. Look at verse 6. He says, I did not come, we did not come to seek your glory or from anyone. You see, a pastor who really comes in realness and in authentic relationship with God, they're not trying to please people. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10 is a very, very important verse to me. It's one of those that I have highlighted in my Bible because I need it very often. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul writes, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? Listen, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Brothers and sisters, Tim is not coming, nor would any leader come, just to get your approval or to seek your applause. Because any time we in leadership, and really any of us, in any of our work, when we really try to get the applause of people, we step away from receiving the approval of God. You can't get both. If you really want to be devoted to the things of God, you have to recognize you're actually not going to get the approval of people. If your goal in life is to please people, you are in a failing goal. Because you can't approve, or you can't get everyone to be, a, to be pleased. Paul says he didn't come with flattery of words. He didn't come for financial gain. He didn't come to please people. Instead, it says how he came. Let me show you these quickly. If that's the approach in coming, how do you stay? And this is really where I want to linger for a moment. Because this is what really challenges you as the people who are now going to receive a leader, receive a pastor, receive someone that you're going to call shepherd and brother and leader and friend. How do you receive them? How does he receive you? This is really, really important, friends. Verse 7 and 8. He speaks about how they stayed. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our very selves, because you had become dear to us. This is what it looks like when a church and a leader really come together. Do you want to see what it looks like? Well, there's some gentleness that is experienced. It says gentleness like a nursing mother taking care of her children. There's a, a relationship there. There's a tenderness there. There's a kindness there. There's a, a selflessness there. It, later in 1 Thessalonians 2, just a few verses down, verse 11 and 12, he says, for you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you. Paul will use both the Mother language and the father language to describe the relationship between a, a congregation and their leader. You need a leader who will give you both a hug and kick you in the butt. Amen? You need both. You need a leader who will put their arm around you and encourage you and comfort you. And you need a leader who will at times call you out. You need a leader who will pat you on the head sweetly and step all over your toes. 
You need a leader who you can sit with and look eyeball to eyeball and be in a wonderful relationship. And you need a leader from time to time that will say, come on now, straighten up. That's the both and. The mothering and the fathering. I don't know how it works in your house or maybe in the home you grew up in. There are some parents who you want to receive discipline from and there are some parents you're terrified of. In my house, there was just one parent, a single parent, and he had to act like both occasionally. Had to really set you straight and then later ask you to come over and give him a hug. Well, if you, I would have come give you a hug if you hadn't busted my backside a few minutes ago. It's a little bit of both. A pastor really is both. And a church should want both. Let me say this to you, brothers and sisters. If you only want a pastor to love on you and care for you and nurse you and tend to you and never challenge you, you don't really want a pastor. And if you just want someone that's kind of just rough and focused and jabby and pointy and never really finds a chance just to love on you and care for you, you can't have too much of one or the other. It's got to be an even balance of both. Amen? And that's how you want that relationship. He goes on to say in verse 8 that he was affectionately desirous of them. Well, this is what I would like to say to you. Give Tim and Becky a chance to love you. And give yourself a chance to love them in return. We live in a day and age now, friends, where the relationship between leaders and those they lead sometimes can be very sterile and distant. I'm asking you, as my brothers and sisters, and encouraging you as the friends and family here at Younger's Creek, to give Tim a chance to love you and give yourself the chance to love him in return. Give permission for an affection to grow. Lastly, Paul writes that he was ready to share not only the gospel of God, but also his very self. There's two things here that you want to hear over and over again from Tim and from his family and from his life and from your work together, you want to share the gospel together. Amen? You want to share the good news of Jesus over and over again. You want to hear sermon after the sermon that invites people to come to Jesus. You want to do ministry in your community that invites people to come to Jesus. You want to serve students and kids with the hope of leading them to Jesus. Amen? You want to be a part of mission work and community ministry that leads people to Jesus. Because Jesus is the offering of good news. And He says that He was willing to share the gospel, the good news of God but he also shared his very life. Shared his very life. You know, some pastors will never ever share a word about their personal life. They'll never share a word about their past. They'll never share a word about their struggles. They'll never share a word about things that they have battled. They'll never share a word about their problems or their fears, because they're afraid if they share any of that with you, you will think differently about them and their fellowship of Christ. But let me ask you this, what would you prefer? 
Would you prefer a pastor, a leader who on the outside had it all together and never once shared about any struggle in their life? Or would you rather have someone who, like you, is human, flesh and blood, trying to live this Christ life out the best they can, even as they experience failures, affliction, suffering, disappointments, and sin. What would you prefer? You see, Paul said, I shared my very life with you. You saw the good, the bad, and the ugly. And whenever a pastor comes and when a pastor stays, that's truly when the opportunity to become real shows up. It all comes down to the approach. The approach in a pastor coming and the approach of a pastor in staying. It's time for Younger's Creek to put their chairs in an upright position, to put their tables back up, put your seatbelts on, and to prepare for a landing. It's either going to be successful or it can be disastrous. I hope you allow this to be a safe landing. Let's pray together. Lord, I know that this seems maybe like a message specifically for this particular moment and for this particular season. But I pray that maybe even today there would be one who says, this is the place I need to be. This is the place I need to call home. This is the place that I need to make my family truly a part of. Maybe there will be one today, Lord, that needs to join the faith family here at Younger's Creek by membership, knowing that the landing of this season is coming. Or we know that there's lots of change that's in the air and newness in the air and things are going to be shifting. And I know that can create anxiety and and even fear. And I just pray, Lord, that your spirit would guide us so that we had nothing to fear. Lord, there may even be some here today that have had really, really hard experiences in church in the past, with leaders in the past, even with trusted pastors and friends. I just pray, Lord, maybe that today there would be a spirit of forgiveness and renewal a spirit of openness to a new season in the coming days. Or whatever your spirit has said from your word today, I pray that we would respond appropriately here in this time of invitation. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.